Uh, last night, my wife and I got the opportunity to watch this uh, awesome documentary on Disney Plus called Wildlife. Raise your hand if you've seen this documentary. Probably not. I think my wife is the only one that raised her hand. Someone else did, actually. Awesome. Right? So this documentary is amazing. It was this awesome uh, film about this couple, Kristen and Doug. Uh, unfortunately for me, I wasn't awake when Samantha was watching this documentary. I was taking a nap because, you know, I was preparing for it this morning. I had to rest. Um, and I wake up at the tail end of my nap, and I look at Samantha. We're in our bedroom, and the TV's playing, and I wake up to her in tears. And I'm like, what's going on? And I slowly gaze towards where the TV is, and I see why. She's watching a nature documentary. Uh, something about my wife is God speaks to her through nature. Like, that is one of the ways that she connects with God. And so she's watching this nature documentary specifically on uh, the region of Patagonia. If you're not familiar with it, uh, Patagonia is this giant geographical region in southern uh, America, South America. And on the tail end between Chile and Argentina, uh, this vast ecosystem just filled with wildlife and mountains and rivers and all these places is there. And um, I just tuned into this documentary she's watching, and I'm just seeing this stuff happen. And I'm like, whoa, like this is, it is beautiful. It is amazing. But it doesn't touch me the way it touches her. But what I started to notice is that there was a story kind of unraveling, revolving this area called Patagonia. And again, it was about this couple, Doug and, and Kristen. And uh, Doug is this man who later uh, they introduced earlier in the documentary. I come to find out that uh, loves climbing. He loves nature. He grows with this passion for the wildlife. And he has an entrepreneur spirit. And he eventually turns it into uh, uh, an entrepreneurial uh, business or venture. And what he does is he founds a company that is now known as the North Face. And so him along his wife, they found this company called the North Face. And then he steps into another business, and it's a fashion business called Esprit. And him and his wife uh, found this, these businesses that are reaching the world, and they have to do with, with travel. They have to do with this fashion that people use when they uh, engage such activities as rock climbing and all this gear that they wear. And um, what's awesome is that eventually after he amasses this vast wealth, Right? Like the North Face. I think I saw people running through the street right now on the way to church wearing that. And I was like, wow, Lord, that's, that's crazy. I'm about to talk about this. And so after they amass this giant wealth, he has this epiphany and he has this moment in his life where he realizes, this is not my purpose. There's, there's something missing. And one of the things that he begins to realize through his business is that he isn't using the best practices when it comes to creating some of this clothing. And he comes to realize that this company is actually causing environmental, uh, environmental harm, right? And it starts uh, affecting wildlife, and it starts affecting regions, some of the regions that he enjoyed climbing when he was a boy. And so he decides to actually split from the company, and unfortunately, it leads to him and his wife getting separated because of different visions. And he moves to Chile. He moves down south, and he buys a bunch of farms. And really what he's doing by buying these farms is he's protecting them Right from, from Chile, because Chile is an extraction economy, meaning they sell products. They sell uh, uh, all kinds of lithium and copper, and it's a big exportation kind of country, and they're destroying their own natural resources for profit. And so his whole life's mission changes, and he's filled with a purpose now to protect these areas from being exploited to the point where these ecosystems just start being destroyed. And so while he lives out there, he eventually meets this lady named Kristen, right? This is the lady I was talking about in the beginning. 
And this woman, Kristen, happens to be the, the CEO, the chief executive at Patagonia, Inc. And this is Patagonia, the clothing company, and eventually they end up getting married. Uh, he meets them through Yvonne, who is the owner of Patagonia, and that's how they get introduced. And she moves to Chile. She steps down on her role as the CEO of this company, Patagonia, and then moves to actual Patagonia. And she lives there with Doug, and for many years, they keep buying and purchasing this land with a vision. And the vision was this, is the vision was to now create a natural, a self-sustainable park, a natural park, right, that would fuel this ecosystem where they would actually, they call it rewilding, right? They would reinsert these animals that were being destroyed and whose lives were being lost because of the exploitation of resources. And so despite much opposition, as you can imagine, from the Chilean government and many people, even locals would judge their hearts, motives, and intentions. They thought, these Americans are buying all of our land and they're going to exploit it and try to make a profit out of it. They misunderstood their heart, but eventually they bought in and a lot of them ended up joining the cause. It became this worldwide thing where eventually they gained so much influence that conservationists from all over the world joined their efforts. As the film goes on, we learn that um, Doug Tompkins actually loses his life in the middle of this project. And so he goes kayaking in Chile with some of his best friends, the CEO of Patagonia being one of them, and he eventually uh, suffers hyperthermia. He is knocked out of his kayak and loses his life. And his wife, Chris, is now faced with, what do I do? Right? This man that I was married to who had this incredible vision, who was filled with this purpose, is now gone and the story goes on, to, and we find out that Kristen actually is filled with the same purpose, and she actually ends up fulfilling the dream. The president of Chile ends up meeting with her, and they decide, we want in on this, right? And so they signed legislation, and all of a sudden now, these natural parks are something that not only will be funded by their organization, but it's something that the government promised to continue to expand from years on out. And so as I was thinking about my message yesterday, um, I realized what drove this guy, Doug Tompkins, and his wife is the key to what I believe drives us to live the life that God calls us to live. And that is this, that the Tompkins family were people who had been filled with purpose. Everyone say purpose. Everyone say purpose. purpose. They were filled with with a purpose, right? A purpose that was so clear that it pushed them beyond what they thought was possible, right? Anytime you do something that reaches people and you get governments involved, it's, it's impossible, right? What they were doing was something that wasn't just affecting them. It was affecting the nation of Chile. And it wasn't just affecting the nation of Chile. It was affecting the world. It was affecting our world ecosystem. And even for Chris, this filling of purpose, even after her husband died, gave her meaning and hope beyond the loss of her loved one. As a church, the last few weeks, we've been going through the book of Acts, and Pastor Brett's done an amazing job of just kind of walking us through that story. And Acts is a transitional book, right? Acts is a, it's, it's almost a divider in Scripture for a new economy or a new way that God now relates to man. And in the book of Acts, it actually begins with Jesus, right? Jesus didn't actually stop being involved in the story at the end of the Gospels. No, the Bible says that for a period of 40 days, Jesus was appearing to the apostles, trying to give them many convincing proofs that he did, in fact, 
live, that he didn't sorry, uh, be raised from the dead. And after giving these convincing proofs and delivering on his first promise, he gives them a second promise. And the second promise is this. And you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and, and, and all of Samaria and Judea to the ends of the earth. And if you can trust Jesus with the promise of him rising from the dead and he fulfills that promise, you can trust him with this next promise. And that's that his spirit would be poured out among all men. So we learn this in the book of Acts. And so what do the disciples do? They go to this upper room in Jerusalem and they wait. They wait as Jesus told them to wait. And so last week we talked about that arrival, right? We had an awesome time at Life Group this week and we just broke it down. We talked about how the Holy Spirit made it evident that it was him, right? They're in this upper room and all of a sudden this wind comes in. Can you imagine right now at Salt Creek Elementary a wind coming in? Uh, the, the, Luke uses the word violent. It was this crazy wind, right? For those of you who are, have glasses on right now, can you imagine those things just flying everywhere? Our hair just, chairs being lifted, right? It was this crazy scene that was happening. And in the middle of that, there's this fire that comes in. What seemed like tongues of fire, the apostles uh, write, right, was laying upon each of these people and it was filling them from the inside out. And there happened to be celebrating Pentecost or this festival that the Jews were celebrating. And so there was people all over town. And they start speaking in these foreign languages that these people understood. I don't know what these guys were wearing or what accents they have, but they all knew they were Galileans. They knew that they weren't Greeks. They know that they weren't Medes. They knew that they weren't their own people. And so they identified them and said, what is this? When they were speaking this language, they were declaring the wonders of God, they said. But some people thought they were drunk, right? Some people thought it's, this is a festival town. Surely there's some wine bottles lying around the room, and this is what's happening. But it's not. Peter stands up, and he tells them, this is not what's happening. And he quotes Joel, and he quotes David, and he tells them, this is prophecy being fulfilled before your very own eyes. And so that is now where we, it leads us today. And Pastor Brett challenged us last week to be praying about God. Fill us. And maybe our group this week, you talked about why it's important to ask the Holy Spirit to fill us. And the way I feel the Lord kind of led me with this next passage as we continue in Acts chapter 2, it's, it's really talking about being filled for a purpose. I just described to you a couple that it was them being filled with the purpose that allowed them to experience one of the most meaningful things a person can do with their life, and that's to take care of this world. Right? And to guarantee that the next generations will have a world that they can live in and thrive in. I believe as believers, it's, it's the same thing. I think that the Holy Spirit does fill us when we put our faith in Jesus for eternal life. But for, unfortunately for a lot of us, or even for just people in the body of Christ, that's all the Holy Spirit fills us for. It's so that one day when we pass from this life, he would raise us from the dead. And that is great in and of itself, but I believe that there's more. I believe that this morning God wants to show us you are filled for a purpose in this life, not just the next. And so go with me to Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. We have six short verses today. And we're going to read about what is this purpose that God is talking about that he gave us his spirit for. Filled for a purpose. What is this purpose? It says this in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone, how many? Everyone 
was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give anyone, or sorry, to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke uh, bread in their homes. They had some life groups going on. And they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And it ends with this. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Six short verses, a ton of stuff in there. And I'm going to try to break it down in the next 25 minutes. I want to talk today about being filled for a purpose, that again, it's this idea that God wants to speak to us today, that you're filled with intention. Yes, we put our faith in Jesus and he grants us eternal life, but there's more to that. There's more that on Monday through Sunday, God wants you to experience. And that's the more that I think that God wants to share with us today. I believe, number one, we are filled to be discipled and to disciple others. We are filled to be discipled and to disciple others. Where do I get that from? Verse 42 says this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Remember, Peter preaches the gospel and he tells them, Joel prophesied about this. David prophesied about this. And the Bible says that the the people who were gathered at Pentecost were cut to the heart. They were cut to the heart because they realized that this Jesus was actually the Messiah. And this Jesus who was the Messiah, was the Messiah that they killed. It was the Messiah that they were yelling, crucify him, crucify him. And so Peter, inspired by the Spirit, preaches this gospel and it convicts them. And, he, and the people react by saying, brothers, what do we do? And he says, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and you too will be filled with the Spirit. All of a sudden, Peter has a good problem and it's that 3,000 people that day get added to the church. Now what? What if 3,000 people just walked in here today? What would we do with them? That is what God wants to tell us today. It's what do we do when we have the share the gospel with someone? Okay, they're filled with the Spirit. Okay, they're going to go to heaven when they pass. But now what? Is there another purpose for which we are filled? And I believe the answer is yes. And as I said, that first reason, according to Scripture, is that we are to be discipled and to disciple others. The Bible says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And when I read that, I had to ask myself, what was this teaching? What were they teaching? Were they teaching Acts? No, they were were becoming the church of Acts. What were they teaching? And it reminds me of the end of Matthew when Jesus gathers the disciples. He's about to send into heaven and he tells us something very specific. He saves his best words in his last great command before his ascension. And he says, all authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth. And because of that, I want you to do this. And that authority I give to you, now go and make disciples. Right? Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And he says this, teaching them to obey what? Everything that I have taught you. The apostles' teaching, if you want to write this down, is everything Jesus taught the disciples. Everything that you see in the Gospels, that's the apostles' teaching. Right, And so we see the apostles for the first time engage in what? In discipleship. In discipleship. These apostles were now discipling these 3,000 believers the same way that Jesus discipled them. 
And so when we ask the Lord God, fill me with your spirit, one of God's intentions for that is that you would be filled with the power to disciple other people. This pouring out of the spirit just does not stay in the upper room. This pouring out of the spirit on a Sunday service is not meant to stay in this room. This pouring out of the spirit uh, that we experience sometimes in Christian conferences and events, it's not meant to stay there. It's actually meant to empower you to, throughout the week, go and make disciples. And so these 3,000 believers knew this, that in order for me to grow and become the people of God he's calling us to be, we need to devote ourselves to this teaching. We need to meet in temple courts as the scripture talks. We need to gather in our homes and we need to experience this so that we can, in the same way that the apostles follow Jesus closely, mature in Christ. Mature in what it's like to walk and talk like Jesus and become like him. We are called to disciple those less mature than us and we're called to be discipled by those more mature than us. I want to ask this question today before moving on is who's discipling you? Who in your life, in your communities, would you say is discipling you? I like to believe that the reason God gave you his spirit is so that you would have that discipleship relationship. When I was 22 years old, I'll never forget this. I was walking into the church that I was going to at the time. I had only been saved for about two years. The Lord saved my life at 20 years old. He knew if I turned 21, it would be crazy. So he had to save me at 20, I always like to say. And so he saved my life. And two years later, I find myself in this church rhythm, going to church every Sunday and trying to gather as much knowledge and information and just trying to learn what, it's, what it means to be a Christian. And eventually I tap into a college ministry at the church. And at the time, the rhythm was that every week this college ministry would meet every single week. And I remember I started going there for a little bit. And eventually there came a day where I walked inside um, as usual on a Wednesday night but this time, uh, it wasn't the normal college student greeters. It was like the pastor that was greeting. And I remember just being kind of struck by that. And I was walking in, and I was walking into the church. The pastor just grabs my arm, and I'm just like, whoa, what is this? And he tells me, hey, man, it's time for you to lead. He did not know that at the time, one of the things that I had been praying to God is, God, I, I want to get involved. I, I, I want to I wanna grow in you. I want to walk like you. I want to do the things that you call me to do. And I had, at the time, I, I just felt like I didn't have purpose. I felt like I didn't have meaning. And so that invitation to me was something divine. It was something that I knew immediately I would say yes to. And after saying yes, I, I didn't realize this as it was happening for the next three years. But in retrospect, I realized that this man, God has sent him into my life to disciple me. He took me to Haiti to work with the missionaries that our church had down there. He invited me to join a, a school of ministry, which actually Christina was a part of, which is awesome, full circle moment, right? And, and he did all these things. He invited me to all these things. He taught me the word. He confronted me about sinful behavior happening in my life. He was patient with me. He was graceful with me. He equipped me. He challenged me to teach God's word. He, he challenged me to read my Bible and taught me methods of how to do that. All this to say that I would say that the, one of the greatest experiences you can have as a believer in your pathway to growth is discipleship. It's when you find someone within your community that shows you how to walk and how to become like Jesus. And so maybe you're in this room today and you're like, I've, I've been discipled and I'm in a place now where I feel like I've, I've been around the faith for a while. And I think also this, I think God's given you his spirit so that you can disciple others. 
so that you can take someone who's younger in the faith to embrace them the way that my college pastor embraced me and empower them to walk with the Lord. Show them what it's like to pray. Show them what it's like to read your word and devote yourself to the teaching of Christ. Two, we are filled to be in fellowship. Right? Acts, uh, four, four, uh, verse 42 says this. They devoted themselves to apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Verse 46 says this. Every day they continued to meet together in temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. The word fellowship that's used here is the Greek word koinonia, right? Which means to have in common or to share. And what is it that we share as believers, right? When you think about these 3,000 people who came from all these different regions, you would think that they would actually have things least in common. You would think that there's actually more differences than similarities, but that's not what Luke decides to tell us. He decides to tell us that they had everything in common, right? What is it that they had in common that led Luke to describe that and that they had this unity they had this fellowship that was what they now shared the life of Christ with one another that's the beautiful thing about being in a, in a community like this one like South Point right that in an instant and it just it took Samantha and I we've only been here for a few months it just took man just coming together and worshiping God and hearing the word together and being in community for us to be bonded one another but it was no accident it was the feeling of the Spirit of God in each of our lives that created that unity. There's a saying that goes this, that in your faith, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go the distance, if you want to go far, we need to go together. Right? The secret to going fast is going by yourself. It's, it's just doing life by yourself. It's just me and God, and people say that. But I think that doesn't always lead us very far. The, the key to distance is fellowship. It's realizing this, that you alone are not the body of Christ. Brett is not the body of Christ. I am not the body of Christ. Samantha is not the body of Christ. None of us here is the body of Christ. You're just a part. But all of us together are the body of Christ. All of us together are filled for the sake of fellowship. Yes, to teaching and growing personally and individually, But more than that, we're called to fellowship. We are filled and asking the Lord, God, fill me to experience the fellowship. Send the relationships in my life that I need to have to experience this fellowship. Number three is this, we are filled to have communion. Verse 42 says this, they devote themselves to the teaching and to the fellowship, sorry, the fellowship and to the breaking of bread. Right? And, and there's really two things that I want to tap into this when it comes to communion, or, or that's breaking of bread. It's, there's a communion that happens that is with God. Believe it or not, when you open the Word of God, you are actually having communion with God. Right? The Word is often described as the bread. Right? That when we open up our scriptures, you're not performing an intellectual, intellectual exercise. You're sitting at the table with God. Every single morning, I believe this, God prepares a table for all of us, and in that table, there is bread. There is truth, there is grace, there is wisdom, there is joy, there is peace that you need for that day. But how often do we walk past that table in the morning? How often does God sit there and wait for us and say, if you would just sit with me and break bread, I would fill you in ways that your job won't fill you. That the things waiting for you throughout the day won't fill you. That exercise won't fill you. That money won't fill you. That 
whatever it is that you do for a living won't fill you. One of the reasons we are giving the Spirit is so that we're able to break bread with God. It is the salvation and the righteousness that comes with Jesus' blood and the filling of his Spirit that allows us to now have that communion with the Lord. And so there's this symbolic thing that's happening here where this breaking of bread is these people are now having communion, not just with each other, but with the Lord. And the second type is communion with each other. I don't know what it is about chewing in front of one another that just connects us. For us, when we were part of this community coming in, I love Carrie. I'm not sure if she's here today. She invited Samantha over for dinner, and I promise you, after two hours of downing her pastries and pizza and enchiladas I think she made that day and all kinds of stuff, we were close. God knitted our hearts together. There's something about sharing a meal with someone that God uses us to join us to people. It's what, by the way, makes your family close. It's the fact that those are the people you eat with every single day. In that same way, God fills us so that we can experience this fellowship, sorry, this communion with each other. Number four is this, we are filled to pray for others and for ourselves. Verse 42 also tells us that they devoted themselves to prayer, to prayer. People filled with God's spirit are often compelled to see the concerns and needs of those around them. Just recently, a few Tuesdays ago, I got invited to attend this biblical manhood class. And on my journey to become a man, I'm like, Lord, I want to become a man. I want to make sure I understand what it means and what this target is for me to become the man that you've called me to be. And one of our homework assignments was to go uh, home throughout the week and log in one hour prayer, uninterrupted prayer. And so we did this exercise and we gathered the following Tuesday and all these guys and all these men were gathered together and they asked us, how did it go? And one of the things that I noticed that everybody shared is that as we were praying, something happened in our spirits and it was this, that as we were praying, we began to share and be recalled of all the burdens that people around us have. That as we sit there in prayer, there's just something about prayer and I think it's this, is that your heart begins to be burdened by the things God is burdened with. That God fills us with his spirit, why? So that we can share with him and with his spirit the needs around us. That this filling of the spirit, when we ask the Lord this week, God, fill me with your spirit, isn't just for yourself. This filling of the spirit actually involves you being empowered to begin to pray for other people, intercede for other people, lift up the burdens of other people. And I just love that. One of our group members shared that um, he was sitting at his desk and all of a sudden, the Lord asked him to kind of look up, and he saw the pictures of people that he had gone to school ministry with, had gone to college with, his family, and God told him, just get every picture, and I want you to pray for every single one of those people. And he said, I hadn't prayed for those people in years. Some of these people I had forgotten about. Why? Because prayer removes the focus off of ourselves, and it helps us focus on others. When we are filled with the Holy Spirit, one of those identifiers is that a person that is Holy Spirit-filled is a person that begins to pray for others. Number five is this. We are filled to live in awe of what God can do through, through us. Verse 43 says this. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. It dawned on me um, during seminary a few years ago that I had a, a education and a degree that is very, very different. And if anyone here has a Bible degree, you'll probably know what I'm talking about. We have to deal with this tension with people. 
That when you're at the grocery store or you meet someone somewhere or you're, you're sharing an activity, playing basketball with somebody, and people find out you go to college, they ask you always, it's like, what did you study? And I think anybody with a Bible degree or a seminary degree always hesitates because we know what's coming. We know people are going to think that we went to Harry Potter school. When we say, I have a master's of divinity, people literally look at me like, what is that? Right? I envy people with biology degrees or nursing degrees or they're lawyers or whatever. And I'm just like, wow, like no judgment for you, huh? For us, on the other hand, it's like, man, you know what? You're not far off. It is like Hogwarts, right? Some of the things that we talk about in class, and I think even church, when unbelievers come into a setting like this, we're like, yeah, you probably think we're all crazy. And I think one of the things that we need to get accustomed to as Christians is that, man, God created us in a way where he wants us to live in awe of what only he can do. That there's no denying that everything that we read in scripture and everything that God asks us to do has spiritual connotations to them, has supernatural things to them. And these people knew that. They were filled with the spirit and they were sensitive to the idea that, wow, God is doing these things continually in our midst He's continually doing these these supernatural wonders. And it wasn't something that repelled them. It was something that drew them in. I believe that Holy Spirit-filled people are people who are drawn in by the things that God is doing. And it's why sometimes people of the world don't understand. It's they're missing that filling of the Spirit, right? And our prayer for them is that God would get them to a place where they would realize this is God who's working amongst us. This is God who's causing these people to lift hands in worship. This is God who's causing whoever's teaching up here to speak with this authority that we know only comes from God's truth. That when we preach, we know that we're not preaching lies to people. We're preaching the word of God. We're preaching what is true. And I think one of the signs of being filled with the Spirit is recognizing and living in awe of the things that God is doing around us. It's understanding, God, fill me with your spirit so you can empower me to live a life that only you can live through me. Number six, we are filled to be united. We touched on this a little bit. God cannot bless division, right? The Bible says that they had everything in common, and later in the, in the, in the verses, it talks about that God was adding to this community, and I really do believe this, that addition in your life happens because of unity. Addition in your family, peace and joy, happens when you have unity. Addition to churches happens when we have unity. The Bible, Jesus said this, how house divided cannot stand. Why would Jesus invite people to a community where there is no unity? Several weeks ago, we got to meet some of the parents. I think we were at Kevin's house and um, one of the parents asked us, and we had this kind of Q&A, it's, what is it that drew you to South Point? Why, why South Point? And I thought that was a great question, and I remember just talking about specifically that there was this unity amongst the elders of this church, that I was like, I want that. I want that unity. I want to be able to be inserted into a community where that is a value. And I believe that God fills the church to have unity that people will be drawn to that people will be excited to be a, a, a part of. And it's no wonder the Holy Spirit fills us and gives us a desire for it. We are also filled to be generous and to serve others. Verse 45 says this, something radical happens here. 
They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. I think we can easily kind of read past that. But let me just say it in, in 2023 words. People were selling their houses. Like people were literally selling their property and their possessions so that other people's needs could be met. I don't know about you, but I don't think I've ever sold anything that size for anybody. The Bible's trying to tell us this, that when God fills your heart for something, it's going to be radical. It's going to be something that, whether it's property or possessions or it's your precious time, you will be willing to invest it. I think a lot of times the reason we struggle to invest is because we're trying to do things in our own strength. We're trying to do things with our own heart, but the reality is our heart isn't enough sometimes, right, to motivate us to do the things that God is calling us to do. I think a lot of times, God, what we need to be praying is, is, is God, fill me with your spirit so that I can be generous. Fill me with your spirit so that I can be a blessing to those around me. I think a lot of times we miss out on being generous throughout the day because we are not filled with the Spirit. We're not asking God to fill us continually, right? There's this crazy, radical generosity that's happening in this church. And Luke makes sure to note, right, that people were doing this in a radical, generous way, that the Spirit was now invading people's heart, and that as a consequence of God's Spirit working in the lives of people, He was causing them to put their faith in action by ensuring that other people's needs were met. And the next point is this, we are filled to worship God. Jesus often told his disciples, right, that a new day is coming, guys, where you're going to worship in spirit as in truth. And by that he's saying this, is that without God's spirit, we are not able to please God. Our worship, unless it's in spirit and truth, does not please the Lord. That one of the things we ought to ask God is, God, fill me with your spirit, Right? so that I can worship you truly. It is the Holy Spirit through you that's showing this love and affection that the Holy Spirit has for the Father, that has for the Son, and we get to be inserted in that, in that circle, right? And when we are filled with the Spirit, we get to worship the Father. We get to worship the Son. We get to worship in spirit, right? We get to share in the fellowship of the Trinity, and we are filled to experience them. We're experiencing what it's like and the affection the Father has for the Son, the Son has for the Spirit. God wants to give us that affection also for them. So he fills us till our cup overflows to a place of worship. And the last point is this. We are filled to seek and reach the lost. Verse 47 says this. Praising God. Sorry, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Praising God. And enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to the number those who were being saved. It doesn't say this explicitly, but there's an inference that can be made here. And it's the idea that God was adding to this community those who were being saved, which is safe to assume that this community was being filled to preach the gospel. This community was preaching the gospel boldly. Peter wasn't the only one, and that wasn't the only time that they preached and 3,000 people got saved. There's something else happening here, right? There's a preaching of the gospel. There's, There's people who are being filled with God's heart and are sharing this same conviction that they had about 
uh, repenting and understanding that we have, our sins are the, are the sins that Jesus died for. It's what we did that caused them to go to the cross. And they're being filled and they're being uh, moved to preach the gospel. And it's, I think a lot of times we think it's enough to just show people, right, with our lives that Jesus is real. And I think sometimes that gets thrown around Christian communities, right? Don't preach the gospel with words, preach it with your life. But I don't believe that necessarily, I think that we are to preach the gospel with our lives, but I think we also ask God to fill us so that we can boldly proclaim it, so that we can use our mouths to say that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus came into the world and died for us, and that whoever believes in him steps into an eternal covenant with him that passes even beyond this life. And as I end and as the worship team comes up, I I want to touch again, I, I'm just reminded of this documentary that Samantha and I saw last night, and I think about this couple, Doug and Kristen, and I think about just their devotion to something that touched them, something that moved them as they saw this, this deforestation happening in this community of Chile, and as they saw and, and they toiled and they progressed despite the opposition of governments or skeptics, and I think about the end result of it, and I think about how they were able to conserve this land and they were in fact able to create these national parks and they were able to begin rewilding this area. It's, it's, it, was, it was hard not to get excited and to join in the triumph and, and just say, man, it, it would be awesome to be a part of something like that. It would be awesome to dedicate your life to something that we can leave behind to a next generation of people, to their children and their children's children. And I felt the Holy Spirit as I was thinking of this Remind me, just remember, Tony, even though they devoted themselves to this cause, even though it was something beautiful, even though it was something that is, is, is going to bless the next generation, it is still something that eventually will fade away. It is still something that eventually will fade with this world, as the Bible tells us. It is something that eventually will be destroyed and will be no longer. And I thought about this. How much more are we to get excited that we get to be filled for the purposes that I just described? And I really want to synthesize what these nine points are. And I I want you to walk away with this today, if anything. It's that we were created and we were filled by God's Spirit to be the church. These nine things that that I just described to you can be summed up in one sentence. We are filled to be the church. All of these things, prayer, all of these things, fellowship, all of this devotion to God's teaching, all of these communion, uh, praying for others and ourselves, living in awe of what God can do in our midst, being united, being generous and serving those around us and being filled to worship God. And lastly, being filled to seek and reach the lost. That's what it means to be the church. Acts 42 to 47, the Holy Spirit is now teaching us a new way and he's saying i didn't just come to give you eternal life i came to fill you for a purpose and that purpose is to be the church and as you reflect this week i I just have two questions for you it's what in your personal life out of these nine things do you need to start being filled for maybe your prayer life maybe it's loving others and meeting practical needs maybe it's discipleship I believe the best context for discipleship is a small group. Jesus had a small group of 12 people. 
I think a lot of times we, we can miss that. And I pray that the Lord would help you open up your eyes to see that he wants to fill you to step in to a discipleship process, that someone would disciple you, that you would begin to disciple others. Maybe it's preaching the gospel. Think about it. When was the last time you shared the gospel with someone? Maybe it's time for you to be filled so that you can begin to do that and to worship God, which is what we're gonna do in this moment. And I want us all to just stand to our feet. And I wanna pray um, for that today. I wanna pray that the Lord would help us focus individually where we can grow in these areas and what we can ask for a filling for. But I also wanna pray for this. I want the Lord to fill this church and ask the Lord, God, would you fill South Point so that these nine expressions are evident and seen in our community so that you can add, Lord, to us, those who are being saved, so that in turn we can disciple them, we can pray for them, and we can help you grow, help them grow the same someone has. And so let's pray, Lord, I thank you so much for this time, and I thank you for your word, and just the reminder, Lord, that there are many purposes in this life that people embrace, but I, I believe this, God, that one of the Holy Spirit's greatest purposes for our lives is to be the church. It's to embrace these nine things, God, that are described here in the book of Acts. And I pray, Lord, that whatever it is that we're missing in our personal life, that we would realize maybe the secret to beginning to engage that is just being filled with God's spirit more. For South Point, Lord, we just lift up our church to you. And we ask, Lord, that you would fill and pour out your spirit afresh upon us this morning and that God you would cause us to become and be the church that you call us to be and so Lord I pray right now for everybody gathered here if you are here and I just feel led to to pray for this in this way you have never given your life to Jesus and you want to put your faith in Jesus for the promise of his spirit for the promise of eternal life for the promise of being forgiven and being in right standing with God so that one day when you pass from this life, you will be in heaven with him. But even now that you would step into your purpose, that is to worship God and to walk with him. If that's you and you wanna give your life to Jesus, put your faith in him today, this morning, Lord, I just pray right now, God, that you would fill that person. I pray that you would give your life by praying this prayer in the privacy of your heart. If that's you in this room and God is speaking to you and you want to take that step of faith and you want to be filled with God's life, you want to be forgiven and you want to enter a relationship with Lord, just pray this prayer in the privacy of your heart. Say, dear God, thank you for your love. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross and that he rose from the dead. Thank you, Lord, that Jesus lived the perfect life I could not live and died so that my sins would be washed away. Today, I decide to put my faith in Jesus. Today, I decide to put my trust in him and to put my life in his hands forever. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I receive you today, Jesus eyes closed and heads bowed, if you prayed that prayer and you today have expressed and given your life to God, would you just raise your hand? I just want to pray for you. 
And I just want to pray. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. Anyone else? You can put your hands down. I just want to pray for you too. Lord, I pray for these men who raised their hand. Lord, today they've decided to give their lives to you. It's a prayer, Lord, that is done by faith. That you honor God. That when we, the Bible says that when we believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord. And when we confess with our mouth that he's Lord God, that you save us. And so, Lord, I thank you for these people, Lord, who have confessed that. And I pray for more of that here at South Point, Lord. I pray that people would continually, Lord, step into a relationship with you as just these two men have. I pray, Lord, that you, they would know today that you love them, that you see them, that right now you want to fill them with your spirit, God, because of their confession. And so I pray right now, Lord, that you would seal them for redemption, that you would fill them with your Holy Spirit, God, and that they would begin to walk in your ways. And that you would use this community, Lord, to provide that space for them to be continually filled, be discipled, be prayed for, be encouraged, and be led, God, in the ways that you have for them. And Lord, I also pray for these other people, Lord, who maybe today, they just want a fresh feeling, God. And so if that's you and you already indwelled by the Holy Spirit, you've already believed in Jesus for eternal life and your forgiveness, but you just want that new feeling. You want to be filled by the Spirit so that you can engage these things. Would you just raise your hand? I'm going to raise my hand, and I, Lord, I want to pray in faith that this act of faith, God, you're going to honor today. And so I pray, Lord, for those whose hands are lifted right now, God, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would fill them, God, that you would fill them, God, to proclaim the good news to others at work and those around them, God, that you would fill them And so that when they open their Bibles tomorrow, they would see it with new eyes and that you would bring to them new revelation, Lord, that you would fill them, God, to love those around them and fellowship and have communion, God, that you would fill them, God, to become disciplers in this community, God, that they would take the young in the faith and begin to pour into them and that you would take others, God, who you want them to sit under and be guided by and be encouraged by as well. And so, Father, I pray right now just for a fresh feeling of your Holy Spirit. I thank you for what you're doing in our midst right now. I thank you for the hands that were lifted, for even for those who weren't lifted. God, I pray that you would honor what it is that they are seeking for you in this moment, Lord. And so, Father, I thank you for your word today. I thank you for your second promise, God, that your spirit was going to be filled, uh, sorry, poured out among all men, all flesh, men and women, young children, and that we would see, God, the visions and the dreams that you caused us to see, Lord, for the betterment and the growth of your kingdom. And so, Father, I thank you for this morning. Fill us again. In Jesus' name, amen.